Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and this is a live episode of the podcast, live meaning I'm back from uh, my time away uh, here to talk with you guys about the things we talk about, the Washington Commanders. Yes, Dan Snyder. There's more Dan Snyder and Congress stuff in the news. We'll get to the latest and where this may be going with uh, a, a returning uh, guest to this podcast, Stephanie Weisenberger, an attorney who deals with sports and entertainment law. We'll talk about the latest situations there regarding um, what happened uh, this this week with uh, Dan Snyder's attorneys and the oversight committee battling over the subpoenas whether he'll testify and what ways he'll testify, et cetera. So we'll get to that in a second. In addition, our friend Joe House from The Ringer, uh, he uh, he and I just talked a few minutes ago. We he is not we tip, we talked a lot about the Wizards, no no doubt about that. We we got into the whole Bradley Beal situation, Ted Leonsis his preposterous comments last week, um, and a bunch more, but we also talked about the commanders. Joe is a, it grew up here as did I, and he is a fan of the team. So we talked about the vibe of this team going in to training camp. And I think putting the Snyder stuff aside, I think there's some reason to be optimistic while there are questions starting with Carson Wentz and so on. So a fun conversation with both of them. We'll get to that here in a moment uh, here on the podcast, but uh, you know, I just want to say it's good to be back, I guess. Uh, you know, it's always, you know, you never really want to come back from vacation, but I guess at some point you have to, um, had a good trip. I was out in Los Angeles and Las Vegas for the most part. Um, I'm, I've been a little bit under the weather this week, so I, I feel like I don't, I'm not a full throated energy per se. And, uh, but, but fortunately I had two guests who helped, helped, uh, push me forward throughout this podcast, but I felt compelled to to get something going here. If you did though, somehow miss, uh, you took some time off as well. I did have two podcasts up while I was gone. The most recent one was with uh, former uh, Redskins offensive lineman, Mark Schlereth, who obviously is uh, play, later played for the Broncos on their Super Bowl teams. He is, is now an analyst and uh, an NFL TV analyst, a uh, really fun conversation with Mark we talked about the culture with the organization kind of, what does he see that needs to change? Um, he's he's an alum. He came back recently to talk to some of the younger players. He gave some inside scoop there on some of those guys. And, of course, got his thoughts on Carson Wentz. What's the next step for Chase Young? Asked him about um, who he likes the best on this offensive line. And I had just gone to see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, and Poison in concert. So um, we, we talked about 80s hair metal bands as well. So a fun conversation there with Mark. You can check that out. In addition... I also had a, a podcast. I spoke to Penn State wide receiver coach Taylor Stubblefield about obviously Jahan Dodson. Also did a mailbag uh, in there, so you can check that out. And the Dodson part is notable in part because I just had a story up this week where I did a, a deep dive profile on Dodson. I had a chance to speak to, speak to him during the offseason program. Also, there's quotes in there from obviously Stubblefield, but James Franklin, the head coach of Penn State, Scott Turner. Um, different players. Carson Wentz said that, that Dotson is basically as good of a pass catcher as he's ever been around. And, you know, going into training camp, so training camp, we're less than two weeks away. Ju- uh, July 27th is when day one kicks off. And 
there's going to be a lot of things to watch, obviously. Carson Wentz, right? You know, we'll get perhaps an update on where things stand with some of the injured players. Chase Young, Logan Thomas, Chase Ruye. Um, you know, Terry McLaurin will be back on the field. He's now signed that contract. That happened right before I went away. He's, he and Ron Rivera spoke while I, while I was away. And, um, you know, I just think from like an optimistic standpoint, like Dotson is really a fascinating player. I, I, I think he's, when they drafted him 16th overall, I think that was a bit of surprise for a lot of people. And, you know, Joe House and I talked about the struggles that Washington, that the Wizards first round pick Johnny Davis is going through in summer league. He's really looked pedestrian at best so far. And you try not to say, make sweeping judgments based on these types of activities. No different here with Dotson based on what we've seen in, in a mini camp and, and OTAs. But I think he is a pretty interesting guy. I think from a, when you, I think if you read my story, you'll see there's a lot of McLaurin in him. I feel like there's a maturity level there. That's different than a lot of rookies. There's a, there's a confidence there. He's not only got these impressive hands and his catch radius that we've heard everybody talk about, but he's got a real competitive spirit. He doesn't talk a lot, meaning like he's not sort of a diva wide receiver, but these, it's some really fun quotes in the story that I have, including just his mentality when it comes to going to catch the ball that, you know, w- what he sees out there. And one thing I'll say is he talked about how when he started as a five-year-old, he would go out and play catch with his cousin, his older cousin, and his older cousin, every time he, uh, Jahan dropped the ball would make him do push-ups and he wasn't strong enough to really do that. So he kind of didn't want to do push-ups and he kind of, you know, decided catching the ball would make life a lot easier. But sometimes you get a feeling like people, I, I've, I've covered enough athletes over time to get a feel for when athletes are just saying they work hard versus when they really are doing it, when they're really inputting the effort, when they really do have the mental approach, the proper mental approach, I should say, and I'm getting those vibes out of Dodson to the point that I don't want to go crazy here. I'm not saying start him on your fantasy team. I'm not saying he's going to be rookie of the year. I'm not saying he's even going to start. I am saying that I am very intrigued to see what happens now as everything moves forward. Um, because I think I've seen a lot, a lot at this point to be impressed by what he's, what he's shown. Um, and look, he hasn't played a single game yet, but, and maybe it's because I wrote the story that I think was, was I, thought, I thought it was a fun story to write, and I thought there was some really I- interesting insight there from different people. Uh, I think go check out the quotes from wide receiver coach Drew Terrell, I think in particular. He talked about, like, right now, not that minicamp and OTAs is fun in games, but training camp is much more of a grind, and needless to say, so is the season. And how do, how do rookies battle through that? We talk about the rookie wall, and it's not it's not so much a, a, like when, when you hit a rookie wall, it's not so much about your performance declining. It's about plateauing when when the pain starts to kick in, when when you really are getting tired and the mental grind is is there. That's where Drew Terrell wants to see where Jahan goes next. But nobody seems to be concerned that that's going to be an issue. And this guy is a smooth route runner. Stubblefield compared his smoothness to a Tory Holt Stubblefield had a cup of coffee with the Rams, never made the NFL, but was with the Rams at, at various points for a couple of years or for one year at least, and was there when Torrey Holt was there and compared his smoothness to Torrey Holt. I'm just intrigued to see Jahan Dotson when we get out there training camp into in, in less than two weeks. Again, clearly not the number one storyline. There's plenty of other ones. Uh, the return of McLaurin, how does Carson Wentz play? You know, where is this defense after um, – <laughs> 
clearly a struggle last year, but I'm really intrigued to see Jahan Dotson uh, for sure. Um, just some other quick notes. Um, I was out in LA when we found out that Tara McLaurin, Carson Wentz, and others were going to get together um, as a group out in LA. I did try <laughs> to, to, to see if I could uh, get in there, but that didn't work out. Um, but it was, you know, it's good. Look, it's it's something that has now become a common thing with different teams, but it's still good to see it occur. Did seem to note, though, that when they showed a group picture of the people that were there, um, which included McLaurin, included, I believe, Dodson, right? Uh, Antonio Gibson, Cole Turner, Dax Milne. Didn't see Curtis Samuel. And who knows? Maybe Curtis Samuel had a, had a uh, prior engagement or whatever. He's doing his own work on his own side, and that's fine. But obviously... We know he missed some time at the at the in minicamp and, and towards the end of this offseason program, and we know what happened last year. Needless to say, it's going to be a question when we show up day one. What's the deal with Curtis Samuel? I really, just for our own sanity, I really hope we don't hear, yeah, yeah we're resting him today. <laughs> Let's not go through that again. But hopefully he's there. He, I thought he looked pretty sharp when he was out on the field during um, OTAs. So hopefully he's available. Um that will be important to, to, to note beyond that, you know, we're all kind of waiting to see if they're going to do anything else. They're going to add any other pieces to the roster before we get to um, before we get to training camp. I mean, you would think they would today. They did in fact uh, agree to terms with defensive back Dewan Neal. This is just camp depth. This is not a guy you're looking to, to, to start. He actually was a, he was with Washington in 2019 after he went on drafted out of Shepard. Um, so this is just a depth signing, but when it happened, it's a reminder that, Hey, when are they going to do anything else? Cornerback linebacker, two areas in particular where you think they could do something. Um, we'll see. I've, I've checked around from just, just talking to different people around the league, some agents, some others still pretty quiet around the league at this point. You'd have to imagine things will start to ramp up. I took some time off. So did the various people at the various teams, including this team. So they'll be back now, soon, and at that point, maybe we'll start to see some things. I still think they need to add some linebackers, some cornerback depth, as I said. Other than that, I mean, I think they're largely okay, unless there's some injury issues that we just don't know about. But those would be two positions I would think you would want to slash need to add uh, some help. Um, beyond that, you know, we're just going to kind of have to wait and see. Um, you know, I, I don't have any – since anything's changed on the Duran Payne front, uh, I've talked about that a bunch. I've written about that a ton. I've reported a ton of things. Um, so you can, you know, I think we're still sort of stuck there where it just doesn't appear that they're they're moving towards doing anything with him towards an extension. It, it, you know, it, it, Ron Rivera talked about in his in his press conference with Terry McLaurin about the idea, or he talked to some reporters afterwards about the idea of there may be some people to that they can do some things with. You also have Cole Holcomb. Um, you know, that would be another guy I, I would say to, to keep an eye on, whether that's now or whether that's at sort of in the, the end of the year, the way they did with Charles Leno this year, Chase Rie the year before that. Um, but he would be another guy to, to keep an eye on as well. Well, have plenty more to discuss with regards to where this team is going into training camp. Just wanted to sort of catch everybody up, catch myself up, frankly. I have to remind myself what's been going on here. Um, I really did try to stay away. Um, I I took Twitter off my phone. I didn't tweet since from June 30th up until Tuesday when I tweeted out my Jahan Dotson story. So that's, a you know, 
me going off of Twitter for that long. You know, I don't know if anybody's ever had to battle, you know, whatever, the, some, some, some sort of, uh, you're trying to curb a habit, you know, and you, you, you're trying to talk yourself into not doing it and you have to white knuckle it sometimes. And I was having to do a little bit of that, especially when the Wizards uh, held their press conference the other day with uh, Ted Leontes, Bradley Beal, and some others about that, about why re-signing Beal. And I was, <laughs> I was incredulous about some of the things I was hearing out of that from Leontes in particular. I actually reached out to some folks like Kevin Sheehan and others. I was like, did you hear this? Did you see what's going on? And, um, I know Kevin reacted to it on his podcast later. So um, that was nuts. Joe House and I'll get into a lot about that. Uh, trust me. You, you, you know, I, I think that was a real fun conversation. So, you know, hopefully you guys will, We'll check that out. I know a lot of you are here mostly for the commanders. That's why I start with the commanders at the top. Up next, I'll get to my conversation with Stephanie Weissenberger about where things stand right now with Dan Snyder, Congress, where things are going, and kind of like what, uh, what, what, where is Congress's end game here? I think is really interesting. Um, and uh, you'll, if you listen through, you'll, you'll hear kind of my points on that. Um, in any event, I had a good trip. Um, I, I, I don't even why I'm telling you all this, but why not? I, I feel like we're family here, right? Um, I mostly hung out on the beach out in LA, sort of the, uh, Venice beach, Manhattan beach, Redondo beach. It's just, it's a lovely piece of earth, uh, a lovely piece of land on this or on this planet we have and, um, great weather. Enjoyed, enjoyed that myself there had a hung out with a, a friend of mine out there uh, who used to live over here. Uh, went and saw Sarah Silverman one night. Uh, she did a show, then I ended up going to Vegas for NBA Summer League, where I saw Johnny Davis play his first two games with the Wizards. Um, I went for the first time as a, I think maybe ever, or at least since 2010, as a fan, didn't have credentials. I just went to, to watch, uh, saw the Wizards, saw. OKC Josh Giddy is easily one of my favorite players in the league. The OKC uh, second year player, he's a lot of fun. Ran into, uh, stayed a lot, stayed at the uh, the Aria Hotel, and it was NBA players galore. If you're a fan of the NBA and you want to have a chance to be around some of these players, I'm telling you, go to summer league. It's different, though, like the NBA, the NFL Combine. It's sort of like a league convention, but the players aren't there here. Tons of NBA players are there and they're just milling about Draymond Green was just walking around the casino. We saw him multiple times, uh, saw Ty Lue, uh, coach of the Clippers, uh, there, JaVale McGee. Um, my friend saw Mark Cuban, CJ McCollum. And that's just in the casino. If you go to the stadium, you can see tons of players as well. And then they all show up. They're doing interviews. You, you, you've seen them. So it's a lot of fun. If you're into the NBA at all, I would highly recommend going someday to summer league. But for now, I will just say I recommend you checking out my Jahan Dodson story on The Athletic. I recommend you subscribing, if you haven't already, to this podcast. Um, you can get it anywhere. You do you do your podcasting. Obviously, if you have a chance to subscribe to The Athletic, that's greatly appreciated. And beyond that, just uh, you, know, you can follow me on Twitter, at Ben Standig. And for now, just stay here and let's talk. Here we go. We'll start with my conversation with attorney Stephanie Weisenberg about the latest with Dan Snyder in Congress. And then we'll get to Joe House talking about our vibe of the commanders going into training camp and a lot on the Wizards. We'll do that right now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Uh, obviously, when we're talking about the commanders these days, you got to talk about what's going on with Dan Snyder and the latest with Congress, the Oversight Committee. And honestly, it doesn't feel like much has changed 
since I've been away, but here to, to, to help help us kind of talk through what has been going on. There are some developments is our uh, our friend Stephanie Weisenberger at, at S Weisenberger with an underscore at the end on Twitter. She's a, a sports and entertainment law uh, lawyer. I don't know. I'm saying that right. You, you, you delve into sports and entertainment law, I should say. Uh, how are yes, you? Yes, exactly. I'm doing well. How are you? There's obviously, you know, slight new developments, but still Dan Snyder being same old Dan Snyder. Yeah, absolutely. We, you and I were just discussing. We both just found out that we were both in Las Vegas for the NBA uh, Summer League. And, uh, you know, uh, there's, uh, you know, Vegas is known for, you know, gambling. And I think what's the question seems to be here with the Dan Snyder situation is, he doesn't want to gamble with talking to Congress under subpoena. And now he's trying to say to them, well, I don't think I need to do that. You already asked me to come here once without a subpoena. So why are you making me do this now? And they're kind of saying, well, we gave you that shot and you passed. So this is how we're going to do this now. Seems like this could be interesting. Also, I still maintain, I don't know that anything he's ever going to talk, but you tell me from your perspective, what do you think has kind of happened here in the last few days that we've had these back and forth uh, letters from both sides saying they're stating their case as to why, um, why this should or should not happen? Yeah, I mean, obviously, he hasn't been served with a subpoena yet. Snyder has not. And his attorney could accept that subpoena on Snyder's behalf, even electronically over email. But she's refusing to do that. And it doesn't appear she has any intention to do so based on the exchanges between her and the committee lately. I mean, Snyder's still on a boat in the middle of France. Maybe he has departed uh, somewhere else internationally, but you know, the marshal service has no authority to serve a congressional subpoena internationally because it has to be served in person and he's international and he can't do it in the international waters. And so I think it's telling the fact that, you know, Snyder's attorney is basically saying the fact that her client would withhold information if not testifying under a subpoena is baseless. Well, if it doesn't matter and you're saying that that claim is baseless, then why not just accept the subpoena? It seems to me that they're still trying to hide things and that they're still, you know, at least in the public eye, saying he's willing to testify completely and reveal everything that he knows. But, you know, if he was actually going to do that, why is it so hard for them to accept the subpoena? Why does it need to be voluntary? So, and, and that all makes sense. I mean, you know, look, I'm not trying to judge and jury this thing, but, you know, I think there are obviously a lot of questions that people would like to have Dan Snyder answer. We, you know, we still don't have the, the Wilkinson report remains under, well, it doesn't actually exist. There's no written report, but the, right. the, the, Whatever information was was uncovered there remains under lock and key, and we still don't know. So there are questions like what what happened there and the various incidents that have been discussed along the way. Um, what what's your recollection? Tiffany Johnston, a former employee, accuses you of of, of some sort of uh, uh, harassment, uh, groping, what touching, whatever it was exactly. Don't you know, allegedly. Let me just throw that in there to be clear. What's your what, what what do you recall about about this? And not to mention just numerous other things. So it would be interesting to 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 hear that. But I also wonder, even if somebody was completely innocent, I guess, or maybe then have somebody, somebody to say, if Congress wants to ask really tough questions, maybe you don't want to answer something 
So maybe you do want to have the opportunity to plead the fifth. Now, Roger Goodell just went through this and didn't was not under subpoena. Therefore, right. didn't didn't and didn't plead the fifth. And he sometimes said, I, you know, maybe didn't. I, I don't know how to answer a certain question, but he didn't do that. So is there something from a just a purely legal perspective where even if he didn't have anything to hide, where you'd still would, would say I'd rather not do the under subpoena? Right. Well, you made a good point there that if you're under subpoena, you pretty much have to answer the questions that are posed. Whereas if it's voluntary and you're not under subpoena, you don't. And so, I mean, it makes sense from an attorney's perspective for his attorney to continue fighting the committee on this. And, you know, it does make sense from a legal perspective for him not to do that. But from an optics perspective, you know, the public is all eyes are still on Snyder. All eyes are still on the commanders. And I don't envision that we're going to hear the end of this, even if Snyder does ultimately voluntarily testify before Congress. Who knows? When he comes back from overseas, you know, the U.S. Marshals may serve him with the subpoena then. So it's almost like is, is Snyder going to continue just traveling internationally until this goes away? Or is he going to, you know, man up a little bit and, and testify and obviously, you know, not uh, continue evading this. And so it's going to be interesting to see. I'm sure the uh, week of July 28th, 28th is when he is reportedly going to testify if the committee agrees to the voluntariness of it. But, you know, then we also have reported um, reports saying that that may be when the Deshaun Watson decision is going to come out. So that week is surely going to be uh, an interesting one, to say the least. I mean, is there a, is there if you're looking at this from the point of view of the oversight committee and I, I get it, we're, we're, everybody, we're, we're, everybody's playing this you know tough guy game. Well, we gave you this chance and he's saying, well, I, I said I couldn't do it on that specific date. Again, I don't know why he can't get Zoom to work on a boat, but whatever. <laughs> he, he, he can't do that. Why not Congress just say, you know what? Fine. Screw the subpoena. If you're willing to come talk on that date, come talk. Because him saying anything, even if he denies it, would still not necessarily look good for him, um, even if they don't necessarily get every answer. Why not just do that at this point? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I have a feeling that that's probably what they will end up doing is just agreeing, okay, if you want to voluntarily testify, then come forward and, and that'll happen. But, you know, there probably is some sort of there the tension i think is driving this conflict for sure in that the committee has the power here and they don't want snyder to be above the law and it's pretty much unheard of for someone to be continually evading accepting a subpoena and so i think it's more so the committee just wants to have the power and snyder is kind of stopping them from doing what they want to do and so they're continuing to push for that reason I mean, the, the, this yacht thing is fascinating, right? Because we're now at a point where, you know, training camp starts in about two weeks. I don't think we necessarily thought we'd see Dan Snyder there. Maybe not mm-hmm. even at a preseason game, but the the opener is less than two months away, September 11th. It's sort of inconceivable that he wouldn't be there. Um, but it's also at the same point, I don't see how he could show up, right? Because clearly but the U.S. Marshals are the ones who, who are going to deal with the subpoenas. They would clearly be there if you think that Dan Snyder is going to show up. I don't see Dan Snyder showing up in like a fake wig and mustache <laughs> to get past everybody, right? So right, right. presumably he's not going to be there if he doesn't go through this situation. So it really is interesting standoff. Also, right, his 
this date is July 28th, 29th. It's the yep. end of when Congress is in session. They literally go on break like the next day. So yep. in my head, I keep thinking you're going to agree to this date and then you're going to get to the line of scrimmage and then say, oh, I got a dentist appointment. Duh, sorry, I, I, I can't do this or something. I mean, this is to me felt like yep. a run out the clock situation the whole time. We've discussed this before that if Congress flips to the Republicans in uh, November, the Republicans have already said this this investigation will go away. And he's trying to seemingly get to that point. Um, yeah, that, but that's what makes this whole thing so fascinating is like, how long can this game of chicken keep going and, and who calls whose bluff or eventually will Congress at some point call his bluff, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see when he eventually gets off the boat or if he who knows, maybe he's going on a cruise around the world. So let's say so. I don't know. I, I like I'll be honest, like, look, as we discussed, as, as somebody who covers this team and for all the women who've been talking about this for several years now, um, it's important to, to know what's what happened here and what's going on here. Um, at the same point, I'm just like, man, is this thing ever gonna gonna end? And I know Congress has said that they're using the the Washington Commanders organization as an example of workplace mm-hmm. harassment uh, and other factors in this country. But they're also, as far as I know, are not calling other CEOs. They're not calling other co- people from other leagues. They're just focusing on this guy, which to me does make me question a little bit. Like, are they actually trying to solve this problem? Or are they trying to get points by going after this guy who's clearly his reputation is pretty lousy. Does the Congress need yeah. to at some point do something beyond just going after him? It, like, do they, do they, do they risk sort of making him almost a sympathetic figure and or question having people question their own motives if they don't do more than just going after him? Yeah, I don't think it necessarily, it would make people sympathize with Snyder, but I do think that it would make people question the committee's motives here because this has been going on for X amount of months now. And the only person that they're really going after is you're right, Dan Snyder. They're not really, they have no interest in, you know, hearing from any other upper management uh, besides Roger Goodell and, you know, some of the victims. And so I think in the end, it may end up hurting the committee in the public eye because there's obviously people who, you know, think that this is not within their scope of investigation that they're allowed to do. And so it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky situation here for sure, because is it really a legitimate purpose? Are they really, you know, trying to do this so that they can improve workplace culture or are they just thinking now we're in too deep, we have to get Snyder to testify. Otherwise people will, you know, look at us differently and say, we did not do enough here. And so it's a bit of a tricky situation for sure. And I think, you know, it's going to be very interesting as I feel like we always say, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because there are, have surely been no shortage of curveballs being thrown at all. Yeah, for sure. Um, you obviously have your own thoughts as an attorney, but you're sure you talk to others in the legal profession about this or you read uh, different, uh, you know, it's one thing if I'm writing just here's what happened today, but that's different than writing than, than people who are writing about this from a legal perspective or what could happen. What, what, what's your sense for yourself and what, 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 what's your view of what maybe the legal community kind of views of, of, of all this and kind of where things kind of go next? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen people say that it's crazy that he is running the time out 
and he's not accepting this subpoena. I don't think I would have to fact check this, but I don't think I've ever heard of any person continually, intentionally evading a subpoena from Congress. I mean, that's essentially what he's doing. And so I think from my perspective, at least, he might look better in the public eye if he just says, okay, you know what, let me accept responsibility for what I did. These are the changes that I'm making now. This is what the team is operating like now. But it starts with, you know, taking ownership of your actions. And I really think that that is the main reason why a lot of people are so disappointed and so frustrated by all of this and continuing to go after him is because he has yet to take full responsibility for his actions. And, you know, kudos to them for changing the workplace culture if they have, but that doesn't really mean anything if he doesn't fully understand what went wrong and what he did wrong in the first place. Um, I maybe should have asked you this earlier, but I'm curious, um, you know, there, as I said, there's been, you know, it's nothing but letters and statements. It's all we ever seem to, uh, to, to have going on here. So Congress, you know, stated their opinion. Then his attorney, uh, Karen Patton Seymour, I always get that confused if it's whatever way it is. Um, yeah. uh, she sent one back. I was just curious from a, a perspective of a lawyer, I assume you read her, her response. What did you make of that as, as somebody who's, you know, obviously he is entitled to a defense. So what do you make of her response? Was there, did you find it a, a credible, um, argument, um, from his, from his, uh, for his side? Yeah. I mean, I think that, she's doing her job and she's doing a good job of representing Snyder here because he clearly is saying, I don't want to get subpoenaed. And she's doing everything in her power to make the right arguments so that he hopefully in their eyes does not have to be, but you know, there's also the past history of Snyder and the NDAs and everything. So the committee at the same time does have a reasonable basis to, say we need to subpoena Snyder because we're worried that he might not fully testify honestly. And of course, then you have, you know, Snyder's lawyer saying that doesn't matter. He's going to do so. But, you know, the committee's probably just trying to make sure that he really, really is going to. And, you know, Snyder's attorney, Karen Seymour, is just trying to do her job and represent her client to the best of her ability. And, you know, the the letters definitely show that she has uh, given no mercy there for sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I feel like if I played back the conversation that you and I had when you were on a month ago, other than the fact that we've moved, the, we've moved, uh, things have changed slightly in terms of just the, the subpoena discussion. So much of what we're saying is similar things we've been saying for all yeah. along. So, so what point here? I mean, I guess we're at the point where the change will be, does he testify or not? Do, you know, do, do they issue the subpoena, drop the subpoena? What, 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 what have you? Um, I don't even, I guess it's sort of what I'm saying is I don't even know what to ask you anymore. That's remotely interesting. Um, is there anything else interesting about this situation that, you know, as a layman, I have not, maybe we wouldn't think to ask, or if we kind of just reach a point where, all right, well, this is it. We've established, this is the game. Is he going to testify? Are they going to issue the subpoena? Is that kind of just ultimately where we're at? Yeah, I think that kind of is where we're at for the most part. And it's like you were saying before, they're going on a break for August. So if he doesn't ultimately testify at the end of the month, who knows when the next time they might try and get him to testify will be. And I don't know. I mean, Roger Goodell answered all of the questions that he was asked. He, he didn't plead the fifth, which I think a lot of people were expecting him to do. And so 
you know, he said that he's never seen a workplace culture like this before based on the NFL's investigation. And so clearly there are some things that need to be brought up and talked about. It's just a matter of time as to when and if before the uh, Republicans come in, he's actually going to end up testifying or not, because who knows, this may may well go away months from now and we might never hear from him. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It's so wild. Obviously, so many fans around here care a ton about this because they're tired of him as the owner. And it's for reasons yep. like, hey, I just want to win games. And and as opposed to even the, the organizational culture. But obviously, we've learned so much over the last couple of years. And, and now I think people are you know invested in it from that angle. Um, and it will be interesting to know where this goes. But um I don't know. I haven't had a lot. I guess I'll just say I haven't had a lot of faith this whole time that this was going to lead anything. I'm always of the opinion it ultimately comes down to the other owners deciding what what are they going to do about this. And until there's more compelling information, I'm not dismissing what we've heard over the last two years. I, I, I feel for the for the women, the other the employees who had to go through what they what they went through. But in terms of the other owners acting, knowing perhaps what they have in their own organizations, they don't want looked at that this isn't going anywhere. And that's what's like, ah, I don't know. I guess the one thing I wonder is, and I suspect this is Dan Snyder's worry is that Congress has multiple times now had sort of these sneaky uh, items. They've brought up randomly the, 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 uh, the, like the, like Tiffany Johnston, like, like Jason Friedman talking about the finances, which kind of hasn't gone anywhere. It wasn't even mentioned when Roger Goodell spoke, what else could be out there? I don't know. Could be others. Could be other things. And I'm sure that's what is, has him petrified. Um, yeah. But it, def- but it, no, 100%. Yeah. And that could potentially swing things. But that's the thing. If you're Dan Snyder, I just don't understand any world where I'm talking. And if he doesn't talk, then I don't know. Where, ultimately, I don't think, right? Tell me I'm wrong. Congress ultimately has no real power to do anything. And then it just comes exactly. back to the owners to, to do something. Exactly. That's the interesting part about all of this is at the end of the day, the only person, the only people who can really get him out of ownership are the other owners. Three quarters has to, you know, vote for him to be kicked out. Goodell obviously can recommend him to the owners for them to consider that. But at the end of the day, still three quarters of the owners need to um, agree that he should not be an owner anymore. And I don't think that's uh, looking likely without any testimony from him. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Stephanie, appreciate the insight as always. Again, at S Weissenberger with an underscore burger, B-U-R-G-E-E-R underscore on uh, Twitter. You're also TikTok uh, at Sports Law. I think we established last time TikTok. I don't go there, but people <laughs> people, people clearly do and uh, should check you out there. Anything else to uh, to mention where people can find uh, find your work? I'm at Steph the Lawyer on Instagram as well and I have a feeling I'm going to need to change my Twitter name eventually. The S Weisenberger underscore is a little tricky one. Might have to go for something more creative. So any suggestions, let me know. I think the key is, I don't know if you're looking to get verified at some point, but like, I think you got to do it before you get verified. Cause once you get verified, they don't really like you changing your name and then they could lose, lose verification. So yeah, if you're going to go for the verification, figure out a name, uh, a, 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 a name change there first and then go from there. But yes, uh, there plus, we go. We got the inside scoop from you as verified. So I love it. Plus, it saves you some letters on the, uh, you know, when, you, when you're tweeting things out. So there <laughs> exactly, you go. Exactly. Um, 
Seth, we really appreciate the insight. Uh, no doubt we'll talk again because this thing was never going away, clearly. And, never, uh, never. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 uh, we'll see what happens. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thanks. All right. Uh, we're going to keep talking sports because that's what we do here on the podcast. We're going to talk a bunch about the Wizards because I've got a lot of things I need to say. Things happened while I was away. Things are happening now. We're also going to talk a little bit about the commanders um, as well. And we've got the perfect guest to do both of those things because he's uh, a local. He's a fan. He's a thinker. He's part of the ringers uh, media empire. The, 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 uh, what is the fairway? I don't have it in front of me because I'm ill-prepared today. The fairway rolling uh, podcast. Uh, well, you've got 23 other things I know you got going on. Of course, he's on with Bill Simmons a lot. He is uh, the great Joe house uh, at house from DC on Twitter, my guy, first off, uh, you, you were up early today watching the British Open. I appreciate the time. How, how are you doing on this uh, Thursday uh, afternoon? I'm, I'm doing absolutely great. I mean, I, I welcome the opportunity to get away from Fife, Scotland and the the uh, the old course at St. Andrews and, and you know, talk a little bit about our, our local squads. I have been fully immersed in living on a in an entirely different time zone really since monday i mean this week uh at the 150th open championship at st andrews tiger woods has had this circled on his calendar and so if tiger circles circles it on his calendar then i circle it on my calendar as a tiger truther um he is not off to a good start here on the in the thursday round um, but hope springs eternal tomorrow is a different day maybe the conditions will be more favorable maybe he will have acclimated um but yes i'm i'm thrilled to talk about a couple of the local teams uh and and come back to the united states come back to washington dc all right if we have time at the end which you probably won't maybe i'll bring up the live thing because i actually think this is a pretty it's, it's, it's one of the most fascinating topics in sports for me in a long time because it's, it goes beyond the nation of sports it's the notion of it's sort of like what would you do for a klondike bar like it's really like <laughs> you're you're presented with this situation and what would you do and these guys are actually having to do it but that's a topic for for another day we'll get to the wizards in a second but um i just talked a little bit about the commanders with the with the legal side of things um as i told the audience at the top of the show i i've been away for you know a little bit and you know the weird thing is i get back wednesday was my first day back on the clock it's like i didn't leave the first day back we have still arguing over whether Dan Snyder is going to going to go testify or, 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 you know, have a deposition with Congress subpoena, no subpoena, what's going to happen. That hasn't changed. Nothing's really changed on the football side. Since I left, they'd, they'd signed Terry McLaurin like the day before I went away and they haven't done much since. So I wanted to talk to you as a guy who grew up here as a fan of the team and all that, like what's, I just want to talk about sort of the vibe of this team going to training camp because the Dan Snyder thing clouds so much, but it has nothing to do per se. Well, it has to do with the football, but not in the sense about them playing. So that's what I want to get to is like, I, I feel like there's some optimism in the air with this team, but at the same point, it's hard to get like the, the Dan Snyder drag. It's hard to escape it. And that's kind of where I, I feel I am, but you're, you know, you're on the outside of this. That's why I wanted to ask you where, where are you at with the vibe of this team going to training camp? Yeah, I, I will tell you, at least um, for myself, and I think this is true of my fellow Washington football team um, comrades, I'm not going to reuse the C word. Uh, I just refused to do it. It was it was ill-conceived, I mean, but We still don't know what the nickname is, right? I mean, this is kind of legitimately important. We are literally a couple weeks away from training camp. I have no idea what 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 is the shorthand. I still don't know. 
everybody in my life just calls them the commies. So uh, I, I'm not going to go in, in that direction. It's obviously absurd on its face that they landed with this. It is, you know, the clean break from the, the, the past. If that was the goal, if you want to take, you know, 35, 40 years worth, you know, two or three generations worth of fans who got to experience the team in the, in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, all the way up until Snyder's stewardship began. If you want to disenfranchise those people, by all means, do what you just did in terms of this renaming and, and rebranding. But, you know, we, we have got grown so accustomed, Ben Standig, to living, um, you know, kind of a, a, a split identity when it comes to the Washington football team. It is, you know, on, on the one side is the persistent stench of the Snyder uh, uh, debacle. And that um, apparently continues to have um, no, 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 no bottom. There is no bottom. There is no how low can you go to, to um, his, his stewardship and tenure when it comes to running the team. On the other side of things, still a football fan, still grew up here in Washington, still will root for the team that will be playing in uh, Burgundy and Gold, um, whatever the, the, the name is. Um, still very much a big fan of, of the NFL. And this particular iteration is interesting to me on the football side for a couple of reasons. In the first place, um, I think it is perhaps the most potent offense that we've seen in half a decade, maybe even longer than that. Um, the, the, the weapons that uh, Scott Turner has assembled in front of him um, seem pretty credible. Resigning McLaurin was was wonderful. We have a gigantic question mark in the form of a quarterback that the team overpaid for. Everybody in the league believes that the team overpaid for this quarterback. All the feedback that I get about you know the the prospects, the fortunes of this offense under this quarterback is to temper your expectations. And yet, I'm not prepared to do that. I, I'm prepared to be glass half full about it. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, that's, we've talked about this a bunch on the podcast, or I've talked about it wherever, about Wentz. It's like, on the one hand, I get the national criticism based on the guy people have seen the last couple of years. Why? Like, oh, come on, get out of here. You can't believe this is a thing. And then I'm like, I get you. Now look at Washington's situation since Ron Rivera's been here or since Terry McLaurin's been in the league. He is easily their best quarterback on paper by a lot and what he can do with his size, his arm strength, you know, no disrespect to Taylor Heineke, but it opens up a lot more. So that's why there's a reason to be optimistic. You mentioned the, the, the depth, you know, people have said, is this the best weapons that Carson Wentz has had in his career? Seems like a reasonable argument to make. It's definitely the best Scott Turner's had since he's the offensive coordinator. Like if let's just say, you know, Curtis Samuel, whatever, let's just say something goes weird there again. Okay. You still now now have Jahan Dodson. You added, You've got three running backs. Um, you know, there, there's still some questions when Logan Thomas coming back and, you know, we'll see how the offensive line does. No Brandon Sheriff and that kind of stuff. But it's reasonable to think this could be a pretty good group. And yet the Carson Wentz thing, it's hard to ignore. So it's 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 sort of like there could be there, there's a higher ceiling. And yet I can't go, oh, boy, watch out for this team contending in the NFC, because how could I possibly say that with what we've seen from Wentz? And that is what makes it such an interesting dynamic uh going into camp yeah I, I very much admire 
this strategy of pinpointing areas of need and then addressing it through the combination of the draft and free agency. I'm always supportive of drafting defensive players from Alabama. Um, I uh, very much appreciate the improvement in, in the secondary. It was a true uh, area of concern. And if we're doing the glass half full thing, it is a true fact that the Washington football team played the most difficult schedule of the entire NFL last year. And that by uh, comparison, this year's schedule is, you know, um, on the order of the fifth or sixth easiest schedule. So in that, that, that change all by itself represent, I mean, if you look at the first handful of games, it's reasonable to, to hope that we get through the first three games, two and one. That's not, uh, uh, you know, a, a crazy request, Jacksonville, Detroit, and the, and the Eagles, um, you know, there's plenty of room for improvement within the division played, you know, ended up two and four in the division with both of those wins coming against the giants. Um, and it feels to me like an eight win team, maybe a nine win team. If everything goes right, if things go wrong, um, you know, the, the, the problem with Wentz is, Washington grew by virtue of it's it's the, the players, the rotation that was that was filling the quarterback position to be an extremely efficient, short passing offense. One of the best in, in the NFL at short passing. Tyler, uh, Taylor Heineke, Tyler, Taylor Heineke <laughs> is is a top five short passing quarterback. The problem is that they are among the, the, the five worst teams at anything beyond five yards. <laughs> Carson Wentz's numbers are not strong uh, inside of, of that, that in that short passing game, and his numbers are not strong further down the field. So, if, from an advanced analytics perspective, you say, "Okay, well, how are they going to what this challenge that Scott Turner clearly has has invested in?" Um, because you, you figure he had to have green lit the idea of Wentz coming on, but that's you know. The, the, the great unknown for us is how will this offense be adjusted to suit what Wentz is capable of? He's still only 29, uh, uh, but now we're five years removed from his near MVP season of 2017. So that, those are the sort of, you know, uh, conundrums as you try and size up the, the fortunes of, of this team. But I, I'm really feeling glass half full about it because it's July and there's no reason to not feel that way, Ben. Right. No, I'm with you. I mean, in a couple of weeks when I'm out at training camp and we're all tweeting, uh, Carson went just through another pick today or something like that, then everything starts to feel a little bit deflated. And then also like the other, we haven't even mentioned the defense, you know, when is Chase Young going to come back? I, I, I don't know this. This is just my, my, my speculation just based on, you know, what, what you kind of see. And, and I, I've talked, I talked to a an orthopedic surgeon recently, things like that. I kind of wonder if he'll be ready for week one. But we'll see. And if he's not ready for week one, then possibly he goes on IR and misses some time. And then obviously the defense just underachieved last year in general, uh, things like that. We're also, you know, when does Logan Thomas uh, come back? Uh, when does Chase Rie come back? Things like that. So there, there are some questions, but I think there's reason to be optimistic. And just to just to tie off on the McLaurin thing. That look, he, he got paid a lot of money <laughs> like that. That's a good incentive to stay, but he would have gotten paid a lot of money from a lot of places. Didn't force his way out. And I do think considering all the stuff that's going on with the Dan Snyder uh, situation that McLaurin stayed one year after John Allen stayed, it does say something about Rivera that these guys, I mean, it says something about money, but it says something about Rivera that these guys are willing to stay and, and play despite all this outside 
noise. And that's the thing. If they can actually get a winning season, you know, we'll see. Rivera is highly respected around the league. As I was gallivanting around the West Coast and talked to some people and mentioned, you know, what I do. Um, more than one person said to me, just random people, boy, that Ron Rivera, I really, I really like that guy. And whether that's just a perception or a reality, it doesn't really matter, right? It's just it a matter doesn't. of do you exactly. think do you think he's somebody you would want to play for? And the, the overwhelming response seems to be yes. And the fact that the people who were here did, I think that's the thing that really bodes well. Now, again, did they make the right move on Wentz? You know, they overpaid. I think we all probably would agree to that, but that's not, you know, whatever. It is what it is. They did it. He gives them the best chance that they've had in some time. And we'll see how it how it unfolds. Um, and 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 what's so weird about this is like despite all the chaos that goes on with this team. I'm going to bet we're going to feel more optimistic to a degree about what, what they could achieve than we will when we start now talking about the NBA team in the sense that if you said to me, which of these two teams is going to be more likely to have a winning record this year? Oh, like, Oh, actually I should ask since you're a, a, a gambling guy. So the, the, the commanders over under for wins is like seven and a half. And I think going over is a reasonable assumption or a reasonable uh, take because they've got now, essentially the easiest schedule in the NFL on paper. We mentioned the Wentz factor. If they don't have chaotic injuries, the defense is just even middle of the pack. That can get you to eight without, I mean, forget nine or 10, it gets you to, to, to eight. Are you, where are you at on, on, on that? And then we'll transition to the wizards. I'm right there. I mean, that's exactly my, my assessment. Uh, again, it, it is July, but if they have reasonable luck at, when it comes to injuries, right? If we don't have bad injury luck, especially on the defense, the defense, the single biggest area of improvement for the defense is um, third down efficiency, getting off the field on, on third down. And especially we gave up a lot of big plays, the we, the Royal, we, the Washington football team, we, a lot of big plays on third down. And when we had teams, you know, in what should have been an advantageous position, if, if that just improves, if that just like the basic third down performance regression all by itself could be an eight and nine, um, you know, season and win your wager if the team win, you know, gets gets to eight wins. So the combination of depth that you mentioned on the offensive side, plus, you know, just a little bit of of improvement um, on the defensive side. And and I really am bullish on um, that the improvement in the secondary uh, th- that gets you to eight. It just doesn't take that much, especially with this schedule. Right now, again, I mean, I think that if you if you listen to this, it sounds like we're being both pretty, pretty optimistic. I think I think we are, but with you know, with restraints. I mean, we're you know, there's we're, we're not we're not going crazy because of the Wentz thing. We don't, the defense has got has to improve. We can't just assume that that they will. But the no. point the point for me when comparing it now to the Wizards is, I can see the ceiling. We've already seen this defense with many of these core players, especially on the defensive line, be a group that was. I, you know, I always thought that sort of the top five numbers were a bit overinflated, but whatever. There's talent to be a good defense. Maybe not great, but a good defense. And they have more weapons on offense, certainly compared to when Ron Rivera uh, came in. And this is where the frustration with the Wizards kicks in. <laughs> because the second Bradley Beal signed that $251 million extension, which I'm not knocking him for doing. He, Bradley Beal's a very good player. He's just not... In the NBA, we know in the NFL, it's a, it truly is a team sport. You got to have all these things work together. In the NBA, you kind of have to have one of the top ten players, or two of the top fifteen, or three of the top twenty, whatever that you know that that type of configuration is, and then the appropriate role players to do it. 
And if you do that, you have a chance to contend. The Wizards, when he signed that contract, knowing that Ted Leontis is highly unlikely to go in the luxury tax based on his history, it feels like they have locked in their ceiling somewhere around, like, at most, the sixth seed. Now, if you said which of these two teams will be more likely to have a winning record, I mean, I'll take the team that's going to play 82 games, and if you assume good health, sure, the Wizards could finish 500 or better, but that's very different than saying they can win, uh, uh, you know, multi, uh, a, a series or two or three in an NBA playoffs, and that's what's so frustrating, not just that they did the real thing, but then you hear Ted Leontis's comments um, af- about the hearing, uh, about the signing, Um I was I I was saying at the top that I was on while I was on vacation. I took Twitter off my phone. I'm not saying I completely ran away from the world. I, you know, I I was you know I'm talking to my friends or whoever. I'm aware of what's happening. I took Twitter off my phone, and the the, the toughest day, the the one I really needed to sort of like white knuckle to not tweet was the, was the day that Ted Leonsis gave the with the, with the press conference, and he's giving all these reasons as to why they think they can win, and he's talking about the esports and the Arena Football League team and all this other crap. And I just wanted to, I wanted to blow a gasket. I was texting people I know. I was screaming in the phone to people I know. It was I was so incredulous over the whole thing. And that's the part compared to the other side. Dan Snyder is a big problem. But if we're just talking about the football, the football team in, in that sport, I can see there's upside. In the Wizards, oh man, I think this is the the least optimism I have for something to change soon than I've had in years. Well, there isn't any scenario under which something could could change soon because the team has been stuck in in this limbo um and if we're being generous about it and gracious about it some of that limbo is attributable to the you know devastating injury to john wall after having signed him to his own supermax contract Absolutely. and that that you know basically locked up the franchise for what what's now going to be going on like the fourth or fifth year of an existential sort of question in front of it. Are we going to try and rebuild or are we just simply going to try and retool? And they seem to not have a clear answer to that proposition. The way that Leonsis's, uh, you know, comments in the press conference went seemed to suggest, you know, optimism among management for the notion of a retool and a competitive team in the east but i just don't believe it i mean we we don't need to see a ton more from the group that that that's you know all all pulled together here the group that will be taking the floor in the upcoming 2022 2023 season to reach the 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 ceiling i think it's probably 42 or 43 wins if every single thing goes great and if Porzingis plays 60 games, which I feel like is the, 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 the line for uh, an over under, you know, if you're being bullish on how many games he's going to play, I would, I wouldn't set it any higher than 60, but if you get 60 out of Porzingis, you continue to get development out of Kuz Kuz, you know, makes another sort of mini leap into being a real genuine, top five starting rotation player that you can count on at the end of games. And then what? Uh, Monty Morris as the game manager point guard and what? More development out of Rui? Rui's going to play basketball this year? 
Rui's three-point shooting where, where he showed us some glimpses last season of, you know, a reasonable uh, uh, improvement in terms of percentage, um, but he's got to take more. The whole team's got to take more. It's just, you know, the, the, the problem is the East has gotten so much better uh, while the Wizards have tried to figure out the answer to this existential uh, uh, quandary. And they, they are literally playing for the play-in. I just don't, you know, even in a glass half full kind of scenario, they're not better than the, 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 the seventh team in the East. They, 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 they might be equal to, but like when I look at the East, the only teams that I feel comfortable saying that the Wizards are definitely just, you know, better than it's Orlando. It's probably Indiana, although Indiana, if they get um, Andre uh, DeAndre Ayton um, could change that. I think the Wizards are still better than the Knicks um, because of Julius Randle. And I think they're equal to now the Pistons are young but they are super talented that those are the teams in the East that I think the wizards, I mean, there's a giant unknown with Charlotte, uh, obviously with what happens um, with, with miles bridges, but you know, that that's it. Otherwise, you know, you can easily rattle off eight or nine or 10 teams that um, have absolutely legit aspiration. You know, it's Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Toronto, that's five. Chicago, Cleveland, that's seven. Uh, Atlanta is, is eight. Brooklyn is nine. So, you know, what are we doing? What's our goal? What's our ambition? What's a reasonable uh, uh, forecast for the success of this team? And you mentioned, like, you know, like I agree, I think Detroit's probably a year or so away, but at least sure. they've got young players with where there's potential. Right. And that's what we're talking about with like Cleveland. That when Cleveland showed out last year before injuries kind of knocked them back. But with Evan Mobley and, and others, like you're like, oh, this could be, let's see where this can go. I don't think there's that, there, there's just none of that with the Wizards. And, and he, here's my biggest issue. Look, this is a business. Okay. We all, we, uh, people for want to forget that sometimes this is a business. And Ted Leontis, I've been saying for years, I, I, I say this on the radio, I say this here, I say this to my mailman, anybody. Hey, Ben, how you doing? Let me just tell you about T- T- Ted Leontis. Ted Leontis, forget all this talk about winning a title. His goal is to make the playoffs, to get that playoff revenue, to stay competitive, to keep the fans coming in. He is petrified of a rebuild. Uh, I, 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 it, that's just the bottom line. He, and it maybe even plays into how they've drafted the last four years, where in the previous, earlier in his administration, they went from a combination of, uh, guys like Kelly Oubre and Jan Besley, who obviously didn't completely work out, but like had bigger upside. And then you have some safer guys like Beal and Otto Porter, who were, I mean, Beal certainly worked out. Otto did to a degree. The money kind of complicates it. And then it's like they've just gone straight to the safe pile the last uh, five years. And, and part of that is, I think, perhaps because Ted Leontes' goal is not to, he'll win the title, he'll take the winning the title, of course, but like he's not going crazy for it if it happens along the way to make the playoffs. But here, here's my biggest issue. But let me interrupt you. you. The reason that they're doing this, these these draft picks from the safe pile is because where they're drafting. They're, they're not drafting in the top five. They haven't, you know, hit the lottery since uh, John Wall. So, you know, Beal is a top five draft pick. Otto Porter is a top five draft pick. The, the, the guys that we've had of, of recent vintage are, are all between, you know, nine and 14 selections, eight and 14, whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, no, for for sure. I was, I mean, just, I just, I'm just thinking talking about just like sort of the, and I agree with you, but just the type of prospect. We'll get yeah, to Johnny. We'll but get that's to Johnny. what happens when you win 34 games. You know what I mean? Right, right. You're not bad know. enough to get to, to crack the top five. It's insane to say we will never ever tank when the best this team has done under this owner was because you had the number one pick, the number three pick twice. Like that's how this team started. I mean, they, of course they had you know Nene and they get Gortat, but like the core was that group because you got picks and we look at most of the teams in the league unless you're a destination city or you know that's just gonna how this is gonna gonna work but but here's the thing that that, that, that kills me the most if you want to say look we're gonna go for it we're, we're gonna keep bradley beal we're not gonna trade him i think most of us agree they probably should have done that at some point over the last two years you and i did this uh, so many times on this podcast you know they could have yeah. done it 24 months ago they could have done it 18 months ago they could have done it a year ago they could have done it right up to the trade deadline now i think beal himself kind of sabotaged the trade once, deadline. once he yeah, once he got hurt had surgery that that kind of ruined that but yes the, to me the second they traded westbrook were clear of that they didn't have to do any other bad stuff the easy re- retool was right there and you already uh, kicking up a notch because you already had a bunch of things and you would have gotten more from beal okay all that said here's the thing if you want to tell me that you are going that you're going to keep the core then give me the give me some real something that's the truth. The truth would be something to the effect you mentioned John Wall. You could say, here's the deal. We we had a team with Beal as one of our headliners, and two years in a row, or not two years in a row, but two different playoff years, we were on the verge of making the Eastern Conference Finals. One year John Wall got hurt, and we we still were very competitive against Atlanta, but we just didn't quite get over the hump. And then we take Boston to seven games. We know how that how that went. From that point on, John Wall never played over like 40 or 50 games. And we were kind of stuck. We had his contract. You know, the, it just, we couldn't get anywhere. But we, but, but since then, Bradley Beal has improved as a player overall. He's made an all NBA team. He's made an all star team. We've added other pieces. We think right now, if you look at our roster compared to the start of even last year, we're a better team. Christoph Porzingis, we'll see about his health, but like, Christoph Porzingis is an all star level player. Kyle Kuzma is improving. We have young players and we think, Look, do we have more work to do to contend for a title? Probably, but do we think what, with knowing what we've done in the past with Beal and what we have that we can we can com- contend, compete? I think we can. If he tells me that, while I may disagree with the ceiling aspect of it, fine. But when you, as an owner who's been here since 2010, as the straight owner, he was a minority owner before that, have to give me the nonsense of what you did with the Caps and the Mystics and the stupid Arena League where there's only four teams and you had two of them and the esports team and all that crap. Give me a break. You, you've been around for long enough to just tell me about the Wizards. I don't care about the other crap. And again, don't even get me started. Like, I, look, the Mystics, just to use them as an example, Mike Tebow, their coach at GM is really good. Winningest coach in the league history. They're only winning a title because Elena Deladon, unlike Durant, said, I want to play in Washington because it's close to my home. They, they, they didn't, didn't like they didn't like study the world and like come up with the best plan. The best player said, I want to go there. Hey, guess what? They won a title. The Capitals, the year they had the number one pick in the draft, they didn't just get a good player. They got one of the 10 best players ever. That's not replicable. Re- replicable? <laughs> Whatever. Well, it, it is replicable if you tank. Well, if you get- Right, right. Exactly. If you rebuild. If you trade Bill, like, look, you, you and I had one of the discussions on this podcast over the years had to do with whether or not we would trade Brad Beal for the draft pick that Golden State possessed 
alongside, you know, this is like 18 months ago, two years ago, alongside James Wiseman. Now, Wiseman proved to be, you know, he got hurt and he didn't play at all, but we just saw a little bit of him at Summer League. I don't know if you made it to any Golden State games, but, you know, there is a kind of an eye-opening uh, level of, of talent there out of Wiseman, and that draft pick um, would have translated into a top 10 draft pick that both of those could have been assets, and, and neither one of those things would have um, imperiled the strategy of offloading the wall contract with Westbrook and then turning Westbrook into these, these other, the other assets, the, the, the former Lakers that all showed up here and, and gave us a glimmer of hope for 15 to 18 games. I mean, I, I understand that all of these pieces, you, you can't isolate any of them and say in a vacuum, it, it would have worked out this way or that way because they're, they're all, uh, you know, part of a, of a multivariant um, constantly moving chessboard, but, that this is the ultimate issue. And it's what I think you're complaining about. Um, what like, like, is the, the point? Right. Like even let, let's just even take this. Okay. You want to give Bradley like, and look, the wizards are in a tough spot. What are you going to do? Let Bradley be a walk at this point. You can't, you have to no. keep him. Yep. You know, at least in the NFL, you at least get a compensatory third round pick when Brandon Scherf walks away, but you get nothing for Bill. You have to keep him. Okay. Whatever. But if you're going to play this game, well, then what did you, what's the actual, did you actually think to yourself, What's the move to actually compete? We now have Bradley Beal. We realistically are not going to move Porzingis. What's your other move? Because, like, for example, Kyle Kuzma next year is going to be – he's going to – right, I think he's got an opt-out situation. So he's going to opt out. He's going to get paid good money, assuming he has a continues to progress. He's, he's been a good player. I like good the player. guys that make clutch shots. Me too. Uh, What are you doing? Are you paying Kyle Kuzma a lot of money? I don't know if they will. So did you think to yourself, okay, we have Kyle Kuzma, we have the 10th pick, and maybe you pick, you know, Rui or Denny or, well, they'd never trading Rui with the Japan rights, but Denny or, or Kispert or whatever. What does that get us? Did they even have that conversation? Now, I'm sure if I asked, they would say we explore all options. I'm going to guess they didn't really. I'm going to guess there was no scenario in which they actually did that because they very rarely show that type of moves. They make some good moves on the side. I think the Monty Morris trade, especially for an expiring contract in KCP seems like a pretty reasonable one. Um, we, Agreed. We've talked, good we, trade. Yeah. We've talked in the past about Tommy Shepard has been very good at the incremental type moves and, you know, look West, the Westbrook trade. We give LeBron most of that credit, but you got, you got, you got, you gotta, you gotta be open to it. You gotta pull the trigger when it's there. He did good for that. But like, what is their actual plan to actually contend? You have Bradley Beal. Now what? I don't right. Uh, I, and don't tell me Porzingis, he's been hurt all the time. And I don't even know, even if he stays healthy, my, my friend, Adam, we were out in California when I, I was out in California and he was, he's a big wizards guy. And he's like, I just don't even see how Porzingis and Beal are going to even work together. And that's, we'll, we'll see. They didn't do that. Um, what, what's the plan to actually get better? That, that's that, right. That, that's where I'm like, come on, like, wh- fine. What, the, that what? The problem is they used up uh, in my estimation. And again, it's it's July, so we can be glass half full if we could come up with a glass half full scenario. We're we're endless optimists, you and me, Ben Standing. But they used up so much goodwill on last year's rendition, right? They did. Tommy Shepard did uh, uh, make a successful trade by bringing back those good assets in Coos and KCP and Montrez Harrell, and did take a swing at free agency with Spencer Dinwiddie and. They showed out for, 
you know, Gafford was will continues to be, I think, you know, an asset, although for whatever reason, he and coach Wes Unsell Jr. couldn't get on the same page over the course of the season. But as we sized up the team going into the 2021-2022 season, we said, okay, you know, we're, we're willing to sort of see how this plays out. There's a, a version of all of these guys, all of these new faces in Washington that that could be, you know, a, a legit contender for a five, six seed in the East could be interesting. And you never know if there's deals over the course of the season, what kind of opportunities arise. Um, and, th- and it lasted 20 games. I mean, it turned out that Spencer Dinwiddie could not uh, make a significant enough um, impression in the locker room to, to become um, a leader. Bradley Beal had his worst shooting season since his you know second year in, in, in the league. And, these guys that arrived from abroad immediately flipped into how am I going to maximize my opportunity here? And alongside that, I still don't know what the answer is. And then I'm very sensitive to, um, you know, whatever privacy Rui wants to maintain around his situation. He just didn't play basketball. We had a guy with, with high hopes and, 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 you know, the, the fortune, of the team definitely depends on this guy as a rotation player. He just didn't play any basketball for, for several months. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, the, the, the season was, was a, a wash really by, by Christmas time, all of the optimism, 